Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Wait. What's going on here? In the Did you do this, Luna? When my eyes it's brilliant. I like it. It's Halloween. My Our Halloween episode. Mash or pass? He did the monster match. It was a graveyard smash. Yes, welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. And as you can listen and hear, it is our Halloween episode. Excited to get into it. We're going to be talking about the spooky episodes of Trek. You know, can Trek really do horror? Is it even possible? What is it known for? Is it more psychological horror? Is it more straightforward serial killer stuff or is it the classic sci-fi trope uh we're gonna get all into that today gonna go over some uh prime examples the best examples of horror on star trek covering every generation every version so everyone is possibly happy which is impossible to do but we'll try it here we're gonna be talking about tos all the way to ds9 and even dipping our toe into discovery which i know is everybody's favorite listening to this Uh, before we get into the podcast today i just want to say thank you Uh, we reached the big milestone in our social media today and we hit 10,000 followers on instagram so thank you so much for that for continued support and as always remember to rate review and subscribe on the podcast wherever you listen spotify apple wherever Uh, i appreciate it so much to make this podcast successful and again we don't get paid for anything we don't have any advertisements we keep that stuff away because this is for the people that's you listening (laughs) so wherever you're at if you're driving to work if you're sitting in a cubicle if you work from home like yours truly take off those those sockies those shoes stretch out relax get a cup of coffee cup of tea wherever you prefer and maybe some a little bit stronger, maybe some bourbon. I've, I've got some bourbon here. We're getting to the spooky side of Trek. So let's stretch out. Let's relax. Maybe uh, unbutton that shirt. Whoop, whoop. Can't do that. Whoop. Sexual harassment. HR. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, um, I haven't been drinking Luna. Luna the intern, everybody. So we're very excited to get into it today, the spooky side of Trek. So Luna, let's roll that beautiful bean footage. We're having fun, aren't we? I'm having fun. Are you having fun? Okay. Luna may not be having fun. She doesn't usually like to to work, but you know what? That's that's life. So <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, so you know, Star Trek has a wide span of, of genres, kind of almost a hybrid. We cover everything from these intense emotional war crime and war dramas all the way to funny, silly Tuvix episodes, you know, which we will talk about later. But if you didn't know, Gene Roddenberry's legendary pitch for the show Star Trek was Wagon Train to the Stars. And it's kind of superficial science fiction now, you know, everything's very set aboard a spaceship in the future and such. And there's a lot of Western premise to its plot, its character. It's it's very similar to Star Wars. It's all poetry, everybody. It speaks to itself. As the famous George Lucas once said, but every once in a while, you know, the the creators of Star Trek, no matter what show they're on, always say, throw up their hands and say, you know, F this, we're going to have some pretty straight up Westerns. We're going to have, you know, Spectre of the Gun, A Fistful of Datas, North Star, Far From Home on Discovery. It's just Western genre that's visible across all of the iterations of Star Trek. So... I wanted to start there because, yes, there are different genres, but one that kind of is dabbled in probably more than any other is horror. And if you're a big fan of sci-fi, it's pretty much everywhere. 
And throughout the whole history of sci-fi and literature, film, television, there's always a horror component of it. So with that being said, you know, Star Trek has made a couple horror episodes. If you're a big fan of the podcast, you'll know on episode 46, we talked about the top 10 spookiest episode or the top five spookiest episodes. But I'm going to go a little deeper and we're going to talk just a handful of episodes and kind of answer the question, can Star Trek um, make horror? Is it good? Is it too cheesy? And again, I don't know too much about the horror genre. I'm not a big fan of the horror genre. I, I mean, I like my uh, true crime and serial killers and all of that, and that's great. I'm a big fan, but not not really into the you know the spiritual horror movies or the slasher. Sometimes I'll get up for an aliens alien movie, <laughs> but besides that, not really. So we're definitely going to be talking about the um, Star Trek horror themed episodes and to. To start us off, to start the ball off, so let's let's get some drinks going. Luna, is this Earl Grey? So, no, it's not? Okay, it's this Earl Grey. Why didn't you tell me that? We got Earl Grey here. We're going to deep dive into the Cat's Paw. So this original series episode is the first and only holiday special ever in the Star Trek universe. Yes, we've had, you know, a couple episodes here and there that could have been maybe construed as a holiday episode, but this by far is the only one that could literally be like, this is a holiday episode. I know we even did a couple chat GPT writing episodes. Like if they, uh, if if the system wanted to make a Christmas episode and what that would be like. So, I mean, it's, it's gotta be better than the star Star Wars holiday special. That's what I'm going to say. So I know a lot of people always remember, you know, the first, horror episode of the original series is the episode the man trap and that's just for a reminder for everybody the episode where the crew is stalked by this shape-shifting alien that murders people's for their salt content so that's a salty episode but the episode we're talking about today cat's paw is probably most remembered for its halloweeny themes and that's in season two and just a recap of the episode and kind of walking through the episode here Again, if you haven't watched it, this is going to be the uh, OPP iteration of the episode, so buckle in for this. So the Enterprise is in orbit above the planet Prius 7, and Captain Kirk is on edge because the landing party he sent down, consisting of Scotty, Sulu, and some red shirt, you know, they haven't checked in for a while. And that's another thing. Why are they always sending these bridge officers for these super dangerous missions? You know, in real life, you wouldn't do that. But anyway, we're not going down that rabbit hole. Finally, they get a message from the surface. You know, hey, this you got to beam me up. I'm the red shirt guy. Come on, man. And they beam him up, and Kirk meets him in the transporter room because he wants to ask him, hey, you know what happened to my good friends Scotty and Sulu? But when the red shirt nobody materializes on the transporter pad, he just falls over dead. <laughs> and Kirk's like, great. Now I'll never get an answer, and he's completely useless to me now. But this is where it gets kind of creepy. Another voice speaks from this red shirt's mouth and says captain kirk your ship is cursed leave it once or you will all die that is a perfect impression of that um don't even bother looking it up (laughs) so kirk decides the best way to handle this is to beam himself down and the other two most important people on the ship to see what's going on great logic kirk spock and mccoy beam down and pretty much soon as they beam down they run into some witches because why not? You know, you're on a planet called Prius 7. So let's run into some, you know, typical 1960s witches. And they've got the, the outfits and the cauldrons and whatnot. And the witches are like, Blub, didn't you hear what the dead guy said? You're cursed. Get out of here. Only they kind of like speak in rhyme. And it's more like, roses are red, sometimes are yellow. Remember the curse or you'll be dead, fellow. And then the witches disappear. And then Spock's like, in the words of Lonely Island, that was kind of weird, but we're back in the club. Fantastic writing, Luna. (laughs) Some deep, deep cuts to uh, Captain Jack Sparrow on the Lonely Island track. Anyway, so they kind of push through and there's a lot of weird weather and they kind of get past the witches and they come across this spooky castle and it's very 1960s Halloween. And then Spock confirms, hey, there's life forms in, inside the structure. Let's go inside. 
And a little fun fact about this episode is that it originally aired three days before Halloween. So again, when I said it's the closest Star Trek has ever come to an outright holiday special, it's because it is. None of the shows ever did, like I mentioned before, Thanksgiving or Christmas episode or anything like that. And I personally think that's a shame. I, I mean, sure, it's cheesy, but it's the original series. And when has Star Trek not been cheesy? Let's just be real. And I, maybe they're like, we don't have Thanksgiving in the future because of Christopher Columbus and colonization or, or what? I, I don't know. <laughs> Are you? But you think that the precedent would be set and be like, oh, well, that was why we did it before. And now we just focus on the being gra- gracious and being thankful but i don't know it's a shame hopefully we'll get one in the future we got a freaking musical episode in strange new worlds in a war crime episode you think we get a freaking holiday episode but that's just my two cents i'm not gonna get worked up (laughs) anyway um and i think it's funny because the way they had the season laid out cat's ball was actually the first episode produced for the second season but it aired in late October because it was the Hollywood Halloween theme concept and the content. So it was actually supposed to be episode one, but the producers were like, mm, this doesn't seem right. Let's put it around three days before Halloween. But great. And that just makes sense. I mean, could you imagine making a horror themed episode and not releasing it to coincide with Halloween? I mean, sure it's been done before, but I mean, this is back in the golden age of Hollywood. That's just an easy layup. They're going to do that. So anyway, let's get back to Cat's Paw. And so they walk into this castle and there's a black cat. And the cat's like, F you, man. Hisses, runs away. Kirk's like, whatever. Why not? It's just a cat being a cat. And they just keep walking. And they walk around some more and they run into the cat again. And the cat's like, hey, I said F you, buddy. And goes, like, hisses. And I'm like, the natural next step is that they all fall through a trap door. And... That's just, yeah, so that that's the natural progress in that. <laughs> Next thing we see is Kirk, Spock, McCoy are all chained to the wall of a dungeon. And if you're thinking of, like, the campy, chained, like, dark dungeon wall, heads, hands above heads, you're right. Because that's exactly what it is. While they're chained, Scotty and Sulu come walking in like a couple of zombies. Now, this is kind of the old-fashioned, mind-controlled zombies. Not the brain-eating Gen, well, not Gen Z, War Z. <laughs> I'm not calling Gen Z zombies, okay? Not. They're cool people, hardworking. Very. I have some some Gen Z people on my team. They're incredibly hardworking. Just laying that out there. So anyway, the Gen Z zombies. <laughs> just kidding. So they come in and they're kind of this mind-controlled zombies, like oh, whatever. And so they unshackle Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and they start to walk them towards the door. And then as they're walking toward walking them towards the door there's a bit of a scrap and they fight over the phaser scotty's holding and all of a sudden they're all teleported to another part of the castle uh and there's just do Korob, and he's like hey buddy you knock that stuff off that ain't cool and they argue for a bit about each of them is doing on the planet and while they argue the cat is just meowing at Korob, so he's just constantly annoying Korob, and he keeps responding to the cat do you know like a cat owner would do which I am myself, I have two cats. And he's like, I know what you want. And he's kind of like communicating with it because that's typical cat owner behavior. But you know, Spock, Kirk and McCoy thinks it's very weird. And then Korob's like, hey, hey, I've been a bad host. Yeah, I've taken your people and made them zombies and I've changed you to the wall, but you know, have some food. And he magics, there's a table and it's full of food. Could have been Arby's, but he didn't go with that route. Sad miss. And if you're not in the United States, Arby's is like a gross fast food place that's really expensive that shouldn't have any business being that expensive. Anyway, uh, (laughs) and then Kirk's like, hey, bud, we're not hungry. We don't want any food. And Korob's like, cool. Well, then how about some precious jewels? And he makes, you know, magic uh, all the food into gemstones. Kirk is very blatant. He's like, look, son. We're in the future, bro. We've got some genstone making machines on their ships. We've got some replicators. We got closets full of this. We this is nothing. It's worthless to us. And then Cora very nervously is like, "Oh, congratulations! You passed the test." 
And naturally, when someone says you pass the test, McCoy doesn't understand the concept of a test and says what? Like a pregnancy test or a blood test? That's not, we're talking about a character test. Great writing, <laughs> 1960s Halloween episode writing. Um, it, Korob's like, no, it's a character test. And we're trying to prove your loyalty and your bravery and that the fact that you can't be bribed by our delicious Arby's and our sweet jewels. Korob's like, look, you're great people, you're good people, you're cooperative and you care about your fellow man. And that's you guys. And then all of a sudden the cat walks out of the room and walks back in and she's Professor McGonagall. He's like, hey, I'm actually a lady. In case you're wondering, I'm controlling y'all's minds. And I just want you to know that's super easy. And then Kirk's like, cool, give me that gun. And he grabs a phaser. Because <laughs> that's what they are. Phasers are just guns that shoot light and energy beams. Anyway, so um, this uh, cat lady is named Sylvia. And she does not play around. She is hardcore. She is in it to win it. And she produces a Christmas tree ornament of the Enterprise, as I'm sure most of you listening to this episode have. And she holds it over a candle flame. And she gives Kirk his communicator and says, Hey, why don't you call your ship and see, uh, check in and see how everything's going? Apparently, Sylvia's from Brooklyn now. Kirk calls and, you know, he's talking to Lieutenant DeSale because he's in command. Because, you know, I don't understand why they can't ever put you her in charge. But let's put Lieutenant DeSale in, in charge of this. And... DeSales like, yo, it's good, really hot up here. Apparently DeSales from Brooklyn as well. Kirk says, hey, how about you reroute power to the air conditioning? And again, this is beautiful, almost word-for-word interpretation of the episode. And that doesn't work. So Kirk says, give me that. And quickly snatches the Enterprise ornament away from the wannabe Professor McGonagall. And that does the trick. The ship cools down back to normal. Korob's like, well, now you've seen what we can do. Now tell us what you can do. And Kirk is like, what? So it's like, I've shown you mine. Will you show me yours? And Sylvia is like, look, I can just breed your minds and control it. But, you know, that's going to hurt you guys. It's a lot of work. Can you just tell us? And Kirk's like, no, not going to happen. So then they send Kirk and Spock back to the dungeon. And they have a chat with McCoy alone. And Spock's like, I think I know what's going on here. Korab and Sylvia are creating all these things from the universal myth of humanities yeah ghosts witches haunted castles primarily around the 1960s <laughs> very convenient and they're all drawn from the human subconscious kirk's like yeah maybe that's why they're trying to tap into our conscious minds they missed it and hit our subconscious instead they overshot it and spock's like cool works for me bro and so sulu and scotty return with mccoy and mccoy has been zombified and sulu unchains kirk and takes him upstairs they walk in on Korab and Sylvia having a fight. And pretty soon after Kirk gets there, Korob leaves and he takes the zombies with him. Sylvia's like, look, I come, in, come from a world without sensation, but now I'm a woman and I'm all about it. So I want to join my mind with yours so we can share everything and know what each other's secrets are because I'm kind of into that. So they start making out. <laughs> this, is, this is like peak track. They're like, hey, you're kind of weird. Let's see if our bits work. Okay. We're going to have to put explicit next to, the, next to the episode. This is not a family-friendly episode. So they're starting to make out, and Kirk, as always, always slightly, like playing the scene. He's like, he, he knows what's up. He knows what's going on. He's like trying to get information out of her, asking her about, hey, what about your people? And uh, different forms, thanks to the... And she's like, oh, I can do, transform into different forms thanks to the transmuter. And Kirk's like, oh, transmuter, tell me more. And Sylvia's like, you just want to know things about me, and you're using me for my, using me and my sexuality against me. And Kirk's like, yeah, that's my thing. That's what I do. Kirk gets sent back to the dungeon, but Korob runs in, and he lets Kirk and Spock go. And he tells them they have a chance to escape while Sylvia's distracted with trying to destroy everything because she's mad that Kirk used her and probably committed sexual assault. Kirk's like, I don't love that. I'm not going to leave anything. Um, you know, Sylvia's in control. She's acting irrational. She can't be controlled anymore. She's uncontrollable. She's irrational. Exactly the one person in charge of everything. That's what you want. So she kind of sounds like a cat. She's throwing a fit, <laughs> destroying everything, not happy. This leads to Korap, Kirk, and Spock making a run for it. 
Sylvia transforms into even a bigger cat, because apparently those are only a couple things she can transform into, and chases after them. They wind up back in the dungeon, where Korob gets crushed to death when Sylvia breaks down the door, cop style, and Kurt grabs Korob's magic wand, which is a transmuter, and he and, Sk- and he and Spock escape by jumping through the trapdoor. As the episode wraps up, Sylvie's like, give me that magic wand. And then Kirk's like, oh, this one? And he smashes it. <laughs> and when he smashes it, there's kind of this big flash of light. And then everyone's back to normal. McCoy, Sulu, and Scotty kind of snap out of it. And McCoy's like, what's going on? He's like, hey. Kirk's like, we got some explaining to do, some weird stuff with this cat. And I made out with her. It turns out that those Korab and Sylvia in their true forms, there's like these kind of like fuzzy blue bugs and they have kind of squid faces. So it's weird. <laughs> and Spock says something about taking them back to the Enterprise. He's like, hey, we should go study these. These are interesting life forms. And then when he says that, the little fuzzy bugs turn to smoke and Spock's like, well, never mind. That is the end of the very first true Halloween special of Star Trek. It's a fun show. Lots of horror movie stuff but it's all pretty corny naturally um even the characters aren't even impressed with it which is part of the point of the episode i feel like korob's like check this stuff out man it's pretty cool i got a castle got some cards got some witches go you know get some deli meats (laughs) i don't know why i'm making this new york brooklyn accent i'm sorry I'll, I'll change it up for the next next episode. And either way, Corb's saying, like, check out my spooky castle. And Kirk's like, not having any of it. Whatever, man. We're done with the original series. So we're going to move into another Trekkie spooky episode. And that's uh, Schisms from The Next Generation. And this is all about alien abduction. And if you want a really crazy alien abduction movie, check out uh, the Jordan Peele. What's the name of that Jordan Peele movie? Nope. That was the name of it. it. was Nope. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Again, I'm not really into too much horror, but the ending was pretty pretty intense and pretty pretty surprising, but very well done movie. So if you want to check that out, I highly recommend it this Halloween season. Again, we're getting some delicious Earl Grey tea here, maybe with a little bourbon, but who knows? That's, that's for me to know, my intern to know. So Cat's Paw, you know, is very horror-themed. But it wasn't really trying to scare us. It was just kind of like having those Halloween themes to have those Halloween themes. You know, kind of like the 1960s would do. And it's it's very morally, you know, tongue-in-cheek. But if you want the straightforward horror, you got to jump to TNG. And I mean, there's several TNG episodes that could qualify as belonging to the horror genre. I mean, there's season 7's Genesis, where Picard and Data leave for a few days to chase down a rogue photon torpedo and return... And they find the crew's kind of devolved into these primitive, animalistic life forms. And it's not a good episode, but it's a fun one. And you kind of see the spooky shots of this dystopian Enterprise corridors. But like I mentioned uh, just a few seconds ago, the episode we're going to focus on next is from the sixth season called Schisms. The episode was bold enough to portray the existential nightmares that ensues when you miss that on a night of sleep. So that is my life is a nightmare when I only get maybe three hours of sleep or two hours of sleep. Uh, being a parent, sometimes that happens and going to work the next day is tough. <laughs> Incredibly tough. We're going to start off with the episode. It all kind of starts with Commander Wrecker. He shows up late for a briefing in engineering. He's like, hey, what are we doing? No more. No more Brooklyn accents. So he's like, what are we doing? He's like, we're mapping a star cluster or something. And Jordy and Data talk about some science stuff they want to do. And then Data says, don't forget about my poetry reading today. Because, you know, after missing a good amount of sleep, the thing you really want to do is like, yes, I'm very much looking forward to some poetry from a robot. Let's go. And they cut to Data's poetry reading. And I guess everybody must be cranking due to the sleep deprivation because they're all sitting there bored and impatient. Despite the fact that Data's poems are just lit. They're just fire. I mean, the ode to Spot. That's, you can't get better than that. I mean, he's a freaking robot. I know the whole joke is meant to be, oh, Data's a robot. He doesn't understand emotions. His poems are technically garbage, but they don't lack soul. 
And again, Jordy basically tells him that in the later scene. But you know what? Like, I, I don't like that. Like, screw you, Jordy. Dave's poems are good. If a cat or an animal doesn't evoke an emotional response out of you, then maybe you're the one with the problem. Do you ever think about that? Maybe, maybe you're the soulless robot, Jordy. <laughs> to me, I was just joking, of course, but I, I definitely. Gosh, who? I don't know if I'd go that. I always feel like the Enterprise is such a, a weird ship because it's almost like a, a conference center at a hotel. They have like archaeology seminars. They have poetry. They have music. They have all the nerdy stuff that would get you beat up in middle school. They have conferences on it for it. And I can say that because I was beat up in middle school for nerdy stuff. So uh, some experience there. So anyway, Riker falls asleep during the poetry reading. And he goes to sip, sick bay afterwards like, hey, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I fell asleep okay. I'm just not sleeping through the night. I'm very restless, very irritable. And Crusher's like, hey, I understand. I got exactly what you need. We have thousands of years of technology, made massive advancements in, in medicine. And you know what you're going to get? You're getting some warm milk. And right, Riker's like, are you kidding me? I was like, I want, can you give me some type of like sleeping agent, sleeping anything, pill, uh, something. And she's like, no, here's some warm milk. Now go to sleep or we'll put you to sleep. That's a happy Gilmore reference, if you didn't know. To me, I think that would help if you weren't getting abducted to a pocket dimension by aliens from another universe. So who knows? It is what it is, though, in Riker's sleep order kind of persists and other members of the crew start reporting weird symptoms as well Jordy gets an infection around his visor implants data starts discovering his missing time which is a classic uh abduction symptom is like hey we have missing time now and plus they're having this irrational and seemingly unprovoked fear responses to mundane objects around the ship an example is Worf gets super uncomfortable around a pair of scissors and then Riker feels super weirded out when he sits down at one of the four consoles on the bridge i wish the, the ship had maybe somebody that would like you know counsel people when they have issues like mental health issues or emotional issues so oh they do so troy <laughs> deanna troy in a rare instance can actually do her job and practice her job we don't really see it too often maybe besides lieutenant broccoli she decides to have a group therapy session and gathers a few of the crew members, pretty much just the bridge crew and close friends. That's what they are. And they have their experiences together and they talk about it. And they seem to kind of all vaguely half remembering having the same experience. Then they go to ho the holodeck and see if they can visualize what they're talking about. And then gradually, with everybody throwing the suggestions, they build up a representation of this spooky-ass place they've all been it's a dark room metal table with a restraining brace and a swinging arm with a scissor like tool attached to it coming to out the end of it all of a sudden from the darkness there's like these clicking noises kind of always reminded me of the aliens in the m night Shyamalan movie signs like like it just kind of reminded me of that but who knows maybe that's where m night Shyamalan and bing bong got it they figure out after doing all of this that some of the other crew members have been abducted and they've taken elsewhere find through the internal sensor internal sensors that there's two people missing and that's lieutenant Hagler and ensign rager now Hagler is eventually returned he appears in his quarters with his blood replaced by polymer which does not seem fun or even possible and the scene and then they're kind of like okay well we're gonna get this guy checked out in sick bay and the senior staff has a meeting and Worf's like, hey, we should build a homing device, slap it on someone, maybe in somebody, whatever it takes, and then we can trace where they're being abducted and then we can follow them. And Riker's like, oh, we're putting it inside me. Great, I volunteer. And Deanna's like, no, that's brave of you, but we'll just like put it on your arm or something, bro. You don't gotta... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, we'll just stick it on your arm. No gimmick like that. Um... Crusher gives Riker a stimulant to keep him awake after the aliens abduct him. And sure enough, we see this like portal open up in his quarters and he gets poltergeisted into the dimension. And what I mean poltergeisted is, if you've never seen the original poltergeist from 1980s, 
it did not age very well, but this portal opens up in the room and these people are kind of sucked in and that's kind of what happens. And it, it kind of gives me that vibe. It's, it's very reminiscent of Poltergeist, but Riker winds up on a table, just like the one they met on the holodeck. And sure enough, there's some scary aliens here dressed in hooded robes and just clicking away, just clicking away. And Ensign Rager is here too. So Riker picks his time and then he jumps up, zaps one of the aliens with a phaser and picks up Rager. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Geordi is trying to like close the subspace rupture that has been linking the aliens universe with the Enterprise. And it's almost completely closed when Riker and Rager jump back through. So very dramatic, whoa, like coming through. And later, Geordi explains why the aliens had a molecular structure so exotic that they couldn't exist in our universe, which is why they had to create a little pocket universe so in, with a lab in it so they could study the people they abducted. And then Data's like, hey, maybe they were just curious. You know, that's, that's normal for them. We're curious. We're explorers. And then Riker's like, curious? They killed the guy. And then they turned the other guy's blood to polymer, and now he's dead. <laughs> it, to me, it's like, you know, these are people with names and families. They, they have lives. They matter. And then none of them could tell him what his first name was. It's just Lieutenant Hagler, but whatever. Obviously, you know, Schisms isn't remembered as one of the best episodes of TNG. And to be honest, it's really not. And it definitely has its moments, especially when you're in the mood for kind of this horror angle, the idea of being taken in your sleep to a very strange place, uh, being subjected to experiments, not having any clear memory of it, and then reminded of it in ways that bring out kind of like this very traumatic way in like group therapy. I mean, that's kind of a scary idea. To me, is very effective. Like I mentioned, the holodeck scene with the, the crew kind of forming it together. It is really intense. So I wouldn't say intense. It's just really good. From the horror angle and i'm impressed with the writers kind of pulling an abduct alien abduction story on a series where the characters live on a spaceship and meet aliens on the t- all the time nicely done you wouldn't really think about it in that concept but it is true like they encounter aliens dime a dozen but these now they're finally being abducted and it didn't come off as cheesy or forced again i think we covered this in one of the past episodes too kind of like episodes with no clear resolution is that we never figure out why these aliens were abducting people we never figure out who they were why they were doing is just kind of left at that kind of unfortunate uh moving on we're gonna get into some horror episodes of ds9 enterprise and discovery before we do maybe take a stretch having some fun refill your drinks your coffee walk around the office a little bit crap dust uh, the marketing department, because those aren't real jobs. <laughs> wow, I'm coming in hot and a lot of hot takes. Again, if you work in marketing, it's a very important part of the job. Marketing is very difficult. I just want to say that. <laughs> but anyway, you should crop dust them. And we've talked about this on the last uh, episode 46 with the uh, top 10 scary episodes of Star Trek. And this is uh, episode Empok Nor from DS9. And Standing out, if you kind of go through and scan the rest of all of Star Trek shows, we find some more, you know, outstanding horror episodes. And Empognor is one that really puts it at the top for me. And that's kind of personal, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. I'm very much into true crime and kind of serial killers. And this definitely embodies that because we see several of our heroes embark on a mission to scavenge this abandoned Cardassian space station, which is an exact replica of Empaknor, or as I like to call it, saving money on set pieces. So it's it's like DS9, but then they just do some funny lighting and camera angles, and then it's a completely different place, and it's cool. So, But once they're on board, Garrick is exposed to this kind of experimental drug that turns him to this wild serial killer. And there's a lot of this kind of cat and mouse going back and forth through darkened corridors, which is really cool and really great. And it's fun to see Andrew Robinson kind of back in the Scorpio mode for one episode, reminding us, you know, that he plays a very morally complex character with a very kind of interesting, confusing, hidden past. But when push comes to shove, Garrick will straight up murder a dude he will stab a dude in the neck or even a bunch of dudes 
and thoroughly enjoy himself while doing it. No problems, no hesitation at all. So definitely check out Impucknor if you're a fan of DS9. The next episode we're going to talk about is Impulse. And this is from the fan favorite Enterprise. Enterprise has a few that fit, you know, the scope of, of horror. One of the best ones is Impulse. Because it's basically a zombie movie. And the zombies are Balkans. This time, when I say zombie, I'm not talking about like the 1960s zombies like in Catpaw. <laughs> not Catpaw. Gosh, it makes me think of Cat Dog. Cat's Paw. So it was close. I was missing the it. It's Cat's Paw, not Cat Paw. Okay, let's keep the stream of consciousness to a limit, Jonathan. So anyway, yeah, the zombies are in this episode, and they're actual zombies. They're, actually, they're not literally undead. They're not eating people, but they are very violent, murder-happy characters. And to me, that's close enough because there's a lot of um, darkened scenes. Again, more cat and mouse people walking around with flashlights trying to figure out what happened to the, this Vulcan ship and then what happened to the crew and then you hear shadows running by and, and eventually we figure out like oh gosh there's there's zombies or there there's kind of like this disease and this outbreak that they're trying to go against and fix so I'm not going to spoil the episode but definitely check it out it's another good one speaking of which and this was a good point raised by my wife is that you know the Borg are, in a sense, kind of like zombies, but they're like cybernetic zombies. And they lurch around. They're kind of just uh, hanging out, having a good time. They're slow, but they're going to get you. <laughs> they're slow. And then when they do get you, just because of their sheer overwhelming numbers, they they don't bite you, but you, they do jam something into you, and you become one of them. And that's a zombie, my friend. That is a zombie, 100%. Cybernetic zombie, but it still counts. Again, like I mentioned before, I, my little rapid trail of uh, cybernetic zombies of the Borg, we're going to dip our toe in Discovery and the episode Context is for Kings. And it's the third episode of the first season. And we see the crew exploring an abandoned ship and being pursued by a monstrous creature that turns out to be a giant tardigrade. If you don't know what a tardigrade looks like and if you haven't seen this episode if you've ever seen a bug's life by pixar and they have a caterpillar so imagine that with a really scary face and a lot more sharp edges kind of what it looks like a big fat caterpillar and i mean they're cute when they're microscopic but when it grows up to be a million times that size it's super intimidating and it starts eating people it's very intense also, for Star Trek Discovery, there's a strong dose of body horror in the second season episode through the Valley of Shadows when Captain Pike, you know, touches a time crystal and confronts his destiny of being scarred and confined to a beep-beep chair. Again, beep-beep chair, beep yes, once for yes, two for no. Also, you know, there's that same, the exact same episode through the Valley of Shadows has a plot where Burnham and Spock investigate an apparently abandoned Section 31 ship that is actually under the control of an evil AI known as Control, because <laughs> that's good writing, didn't you know? And it definitely gives off a lot of HAL vibes from 2001 Space Odyssey, even with the red little light. So yeah, good horror episode. Definitely not the one I would go to, but it's not bad. Probably, and this is the last episode that we're going to uh, talk about on today's Halloween episode, and a little bit more of an in-depth detail is called The Thaw, and this is a Star Trek Voyager episode. Again, we've mentioned almost all of the iterations of Star Trek, and we're going to end it here with a Star Trek uh, episode, I mean a Star Trek Voyager episode. If I haven't mentioned, feel free to share your comments on our social media feel free to talk about if there's episodes we overlooked or if there's an episode that belongs near the top of the best horror themed episodes of star trek or an episode that we mentioned today that you absolutely didn't like and deserved at the bottom to me i, I very much like this episode in fact it might be one of the best episodes of voyager definitely top 10 um and again it's from the second season and it's called the thaw the thaw my kentucky accent may be getting in the way Neelix guides Voyager to a planet 
that used to be a trading outpost, but is now just recovering from this environmental disaster caused by a solar flare that altered its that altered its climate about 20 years ago. And they scan the surface and it reveals this handful of survivors in this hibernation pod located deep underground. So it could have been there for 20 years. So think about that as we get into the story, 20 years of this. And an automated message indicates that the hibernation cycle was supposed to have ended four years ago, but they're still asleep. Well, three of them are asleep. Two of them are dead. Uh, Janeway beams the hibernation pods aboard Voyager because why wouldn't you? You know, just, hey, bring these people on. Let's, let's not go and check them down first. And they're going to try to figure out what went wrong and why these people didn't wake up on schedule. And after examining the pods, Harry figures out that the brains of the hibernators have all been connected by a computer that controls the pods, creating an artificial environment like a shared dream and that keeps their minds active while they sleep. So that is terrifying, in, and we'll get to why. The system wasn't set to automatically wake them up. Instead, it was designed to feed them information about the outside world so they would know when it was safe to leave the simulation. They have the power to wake themselves up at any time, they just haven't because, you know, it's not safe to leave yet. Tom suggests that maybe they just like it in the simulation, don't want to leave. But the doctor doesn't think that's it because the other two hibernators who died have died from fear-induced heart attacks. So what the crap is that about? <laughs> Chakotay suggests, hey, let's just wake him up, end of story. But Harry's reluctant to do that since he has no idea how pulling them out of the situation so abruptly would affect them. You know, they could just die. They've been in there for 20 years. That's a big, you know, your body and your brain are used to that. Pull them out could be disastrous. So Tuvok suggests using the two pods that have been occupied by the dead hibernators to enter the simulation and just see what's going around, bump around. On top of all of that, being terrified about the being in hibernation and being kind of fed and in his shared dreamlike status with all these three people, now you're going to just occupy and move the dead bodies from the two people that died and just gonna dip your toe in to see what's going in. So that in and of itself is nuts and terrifying. And Jamie's like, great idea, Tuvok. Thanks for volunteering. You're gonna go in, bro. Tuvok's like, no, I'm not doing it. Send Harry and Bellana. They're the ones with all the science stuff. I'm security. And Harry and Bellana are like, cool, we'll do that. And when they get into there, it kind of seems like a happy place. Very colorful, very much, you know, Cir Circus Olay, very just seems kind of a chill happy place but none of them are the hibernators so harry figures oh these are just computer generated characters part of the fantasy it turns out that there's a guy in charge and it turns out to be this clown who is about to allow harry to be guillotined when the three hibernators run in led by verosa who's like hey if you kill these guys their people will definitely shut this whole thing down so maybe don't kill them and the clown agrees not to kill Harry and Bellana, but he also refuses not allow him to leave. See, this artificial environment is generated by a computer, but in order for it to work, it needs to interact with the living brains of the people in hibernation. So if the people leave, the simulation ends and the clown dies. Oh, so that, of course, is terrifying. However, Harry appeals to the clown. He's like, hey, let one of them leave the system kind of tell Captain Janeway the situation, tell her, let her know. They can just kind of make out some type of deal. But if you don't, Janeway could just decide to turn everything off and wake everybody up. And while the clown thinks it's over, Harry and Blana chat up the three surviving hibernators who kind of gives them the lowdown. You know, this clown is the manifestation of fear, which is, if you haven't known, is the exact same kind of plot line of it by Stephen King and this clown manifestation of fear was created by the computer system from all the anxiety felt by their hibernators about their own survival so they were nervous about survival and their anxiety birthed this killer clown that's a real sentence <laughs> and so this clown basically runs the entire simulation now and is responsible for killing the two dead hibernators, uh, cut off their heads in the guillotine, generated a strong enough fear response so they had fatal heart attacks, 
Plus, on top of all of that, he can read their thoughts because their brains are plugged into the computer. So that's wonderful. Great. So we have a killer clown, the manifestation of fear, that can read your brain. Outstanding. So the clown allows Lana to leave, and once she's gone, he has some fun with Harry, conduct like kind of dreaming up all these torments based on Harry's deep fears and insecurities, like growing old, being perceived by his crewmates as a baby. And this one time he like Harry wanders off in this hospital and sees some messed up stuff, and before we can get deeper into that, the doctor appears, which seems a brilliant idea. Send in the doctor, he has no fear, he has no anxiety whatsoever the doctor informs the clown hey i'm a representative of janeway and negotiate for the release of harry and the others the clown is in nuts about not being able to read the doctor's thoughts like i just said and the offer is release all the hostages and they'll modify the system to run using a simulated brain that way the flesh and blood people can all be free and the clown and the rest of the computer generated people can continue to exist too so kind of like this simulation on somebody's desk you know it's it would be running but it wouldn't be attached to any living breathing thing and of course and rightfully so the clown's like no way i don't want no simulated brain it's gonna like it's not how it works tell him verosa and verosa's like well i don't know it might work if you recalibrate the old optronic pathways wink wink and so this was a way of letting the doctor know as he leaves the simulation to kind of let Janeway and Bellana to recalibrate their optotronic pathways so that, you know, that's how they would disable the program. Bellana figures this out by disabling those pathways and she can basically turn off the virtual environment one element at a time till it's all gone. The hibernators can be revived without having to worry about the clown killing them before they wake up or injuring them if they pull out too fast. So the doctor heads back in to distract a clown while Bellana does her thing. But the, plow, but the clown catches on, kills Rosa, because the whole I think was his idea. So Janeway aborts the procedure, and now she's done effing around. Doctor returns his simulation one last time with an ultimatum. If the clown doesn't agree to release Harry and the two surviving hibernators within the next minute, Janeway will shut the system down, period. Balls to the wall, tough negotiations, not messing. But if the clown agrees to the deal, he'll get to keep one person in the simulation forever. And that person is Captain Janeway herself. Naturally, the clown immediately agrees. He's like, yeah, F yeah, well, I'll take that deal. Take that deal 10 out of 10 times. And he lets Harry and the others go. Janeway appears, and he's just, like, super excited. And they, oh, my, she's here. She gave in. Oh, my God, this is actually happening. Janeway's like, yeah, but, you know, I'm not really Captain Janeway. I'm just a hologram program to look and act like her. The clown's like, what? And Hollow Janeway explains the real Captain Janeway. Yes, she is connected to the system. So the clown can sense her presence. You know, he can read people's thoughts or kind of know know that they're there. But he's like, she's not in stasis, which means she's actually not in the simulated environment. But her presence is. So the clown's like, hey, man, that's not cool. You tricked me. You lied to me. Now it's going to happen to me. And the simulation begins to grow dark. Hollow Janeway says the same thing that eventually happens to all fear. You vanish. And the clown says, I'm afraid. He goes, oh, drat. But since it's broadcast TV, he can't say the F word. And so drat, I guess, is the TV PG version of, F, of the F word. So Captain Janeway literally conquered fear herself. She must really enjoy taking, you know, that hands-on approach because in the very next Voyager episode, she kills Tuvix. <laughs> and I love the doctors like, you know, I can't bring Tuvok and Neelix. I can bring Tuvox and Neelix back, but doing it would kill Tuvix. And not, I'm, I'm not okay with it. That's a sentient being. And Jane Williams like, shove over. I'll do it. Give me that console. And she kills it. I guess like if, you know, one week prior, you killed the personification of fear you kind of get that taste for uh, homicide and you gotta let that monster eat. <laughs> In conclusion, I think Thaw is one of the best uh, vo- episodes of Voyager. It's really well done, clever, logical developments, you know, like using the doctor to speak to the clown inside the simulation. It kind of ends at the right moment on a memorable image, the clown's face melting into the shadow, like the idea of like a clown representing fear because, you know, what the F is scarier than a clown am i right and if you, and what makes clowns scary and t- 
to me, it's like the fact that they're supposed to be funny, but they're not. And they are. I, I don't know. It's just weird. Plus, we get an amazing performance by Michael McKean as the clown. It's very quick and funny, but just has this evil undertone. And he should because, you know, he represents fear. And that fear isn't something the hibernators discover once they're inside the simulation. It's something they bring in with them. So it's kind of an internal variation of the source of fear in Impact Nor episode of Deep Space Nine. There, the source of fear isn't in the heroes' own minds, but it's in one of their own teams, Garrick, their ally on the mission who's been corrupted. All in all, yes, Star Trek does produce some great horror episodes throughout the years, and they kind of work because at their core, they're great standalone horror episodes. Like I could show somebody that's not a Star Trek fan, they would instantly get into it. They wouldn't have to kind of be caught up you know, Empok Noor, okay, this is a Cardassian spaceship. No, no, they would just be like, oh, there's a madman who's running around. He's got this drug in him that kind of just makes him go nuts. Okay, pretty pretty straightforward, awesome. And to me, that is kind of what makes it really scary. They can kind of go across all spectrums. Not only is, you know, is what dwells within is scary, but it's that is almost as scary as it would be to live on a spaceship surrounded by people who are just incapable of appreciating Data's cat poetry. They should be lucky, freaking lucky, that he has cat poems that they can listen to. I would listen to his cat poems gladly. Maybe I should write one for my cats. Ode to Hemi. (laughs) And you know, maybe if Colab had written a poem like that about Sylvia, because she was a cat, that situation would have turned out differently. Maybe Kirk would have appreciated some good cat poetry. See what I did there? Tied them all together. That's how it is. That's that's talent, baby. That's Anchorman of the Federation. That is craftsmanship, attention to detail. That's who we're dealing with. Tip of the spear. Well, anyway, that has been our Halloween episode. Thank you so much for listening. I know we went a little bit longer than usual, but these are some of the best episodes out there for Star Trek, and we had some fun interpreting them and and kind of explaining the situation of the episode. I really enjoyed doing that, different voices, impressions, whatever. But anyway, Luna, let's light this candle. Thank you all so much for listening in again. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. No matter where you're at or you listen to podcasts on, whether it's Spotify, Apple, uh, there's so many different ones. I think we're on pretty much all of them. So please do that. It helps the podcast out so tremendously and would mean the world to me. And also, if you're looking for some other great content, please check out www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. He just did a great right up on Ahsoka, so check that out. No spoilers, of course, on this podcast about that show, but please go check it out. He does such a good job wrapping it up in a fun, witty way. Always fun to read Jason's stuff. As always, please remember to take care of yourselves and one another. Keep that mental health in check, kings and queens. And second start of the right. Straight on. Till morning.